What we're going to be doing is looking at the subject of a covenant people. That's our subject for this morning, which gave me the rare opportunity to do a classically Christian thing and have a picture of a rainbow, because that's about covenant. So I feel quite pleased about that this morning. I've managed to stick a rainbow. I don't don't remember the last time I put a rainbow on a PowerPoint, and this morning I'm feeling like a properly Christian pastor, because I have a rainbow. So, excellent. Um, We're in the middle of a series entitled One Body, Many Parts. We're looking at what it means to be community together. Um, Before I head into that, I've just remembered, as we were worshipping, I felt God remind me of a passage of scripture in Jeremiah 18. And um, I'd just like to draw your attention to it and to use this as a launch pad to pray for what God will do with us for the rest of this morning. Jeremiah 18. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot shaping it as seemed best to him. And then it goes on to to say, this is a launch pad in this passage for saying, and if God wants to do something completely different with the nation of Israel, to whom he's made his promises, if he wants to do something completely different, that's entirely up to him. He's the potter and we are but clay. Um, But there's a lot that can be said from these few verses. And I just felt God say to us this morning, um, Whatever our concerns are, I think what I felt particularly was some people feeling this morning that they're looking at the future and it feels like a bit of a black hole, a tunnel that you're heading into and you just don't know where it's taking you. I know one or two people for whom I know that's the case, but I felt that there, may, there would be others that I don't know. Uh, but equally, people just feeling overtaken by all of the busyness and whirl of life. And God wants to say to you this morning, I want to place my hands around you, firmly hemming you in and shaping you for what I have planned for you. And the the key question is, how malleable will you be? He's well able to shape you as he wants. He is close and determined in his plans for you. I'd like to pray that as we look at the scriptures together, that we would be malleable, that we would, there'd be nothing in us that would resist the pressure and the movement of God in our lives. Is that an okay prayer? Yeah? So I'll pray. And if you're up for that, then join in with an amen. Father God, thank you that you love us, that you're involved in our lives because you love us. And you chose us before the creation of the world. You had plans for us. And we recognize our utter silliness in trying to make up our own ways. Your ways are higher and better. And we ask you to send your Holy Spirit amongst us afresh that as we consider your word to us, it wouldn't just be something that fills the air, but it would be something that would shape our lives, go into our hearts, bring us life, and cause us to be more like Jesus. I do pray for those 
my brothers and sisters here this morning who are feeling glum about the future, for whatever reason that may be. I pray that your close presence this morning would transform that into confident, even excited expectation about what you will do. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Okay, so we are, we are a covenant people. Uh, my wife, Bev, was having a conversation this week with someone that she was discovered, uh, she was surprised to discover, um, because, was a committed atheist in her own words. And they were having a conversation, as parents of school-aged children often do, about schools in the city. And this committed atheist, describing herself, in fact, as a, as a humanist, to whom Bev was speaking, was, was having a bit of a moan, really, and complaining about the reality of education in Oxford and saying the secular schools are... This is her, her words, not mine, and I, I know a little bit of the league tables and so on, so I know a little bit of it, but these, this is her judgment and, and not mine or Bev's. The secular schools are rubbish. It's the Christian ones that are good, and as humanists, we're gutted that we can't find a decent humanist, secular, non-faith school. And Bev said to her something along the lines of, well, as Christians, we really believe in community and just started to say something about the values that underpin a thriving learning community, which is what a school should be. And um, they're just having this conversation about how this humanist, lovely humanist lady had vision for community and was confused as to why she and her humanist friends weren't forming it. Because they're all lovely people, but somehow, somehow not gluing together to form community. But seeing that Christians do that and a little bit confused by the difference... I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the reason that it's different for us is precisely this, that we are a covenant people. And I'm going to take a few minutes this morning to describe what this word covenant means. It's not an everyday word, but it is a, it is a word that is spot on for describing what is distinctive about us and the way that we do community. And I trust that there's going to be some inspiration for a uh, refreshed understanding of how God relates to us and something that flows out into how we relate to other people too. This word covenant describes a special kind of relationship, a very special kind of relationship. It is different to friendship. Friendship is based on mutual affection. You like each other and are therefore friends. Covenant is different to that. Partnership is based on mutual benefit. We connect because we each gain something. And covenant is different to that. In the ancient Near East, in the time in which the Bible was written, almost every culture had a way of forming covenants. 
It was more normal language then than it is now. But the Hebrews, the people of God, had a unique understanding of this concept of covenant. Covenant was, for them, and it is for us, the word that describes how God does relationship. And so I'd like to suggest to you something that will give us a bit of a handle on this. The heart of covenant is to do with how God does relationship. And I've got three things. It's a, there's, of course, there's more than this, but three things which will help us get at what covenant is all about. Here's the first thing. It starts with promise. Relationship with God starts with promise. That's why the covenants of the Bible are sometimes called testaments. We, our Bible is divided into Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, that's a different translation of the words that are sometimes translated Old Covenant and New Covenant. But the word testament wasn't just chosen at random. There's one place in our culture where we use the word testament today, and it's when you make your last will and testament, in which you make a strong commitment to what will happen to all of your worldly possessions when you die. You make choices about how you will distribute all that you have to give to other people. It's a kind of promise in which you've thought about what you have and you've thought about other people and you've worked out how you're going to give what you have to other people and then you promise it in your last will and testament. We have a Bible with an Old Testament and a New Testament and that's what covenant is all about. God starts relationship with people by promising what he's going to give. That's how it begins. He has decided that he is going to bless us, and so we start a relationship. First thing is, it starts with promise. The second thing is that it costs something. I was looking up this last few days, the phrase, cutting a deal. I I wondered where that phrase, cutting a deal, came from, because Uh, It turns out it connects right back into the story of the Bible. Uh, It is almost certainly, it's a new bit of slang, new bit of slang that came up in America. People didn't used to talk about cutting a deal. They might have talked about making a deal. But cutting a deal is a late 20th century slang from America. And it seems pretty clear that it arose in American Jewish communities as they went about their commercial business in English, but with a thorough grounding in the Hebrew language from reading the Hebrew scriptures, they took a Hebrew way of speaking and just brought it into their commercial deal-making in English. Because in Hebrew, the words that are used are to cut a covenant. And that's actually the reason why Almost, it's hard to trace the origins of slang, but it's almost certainly the reason why we talk about cutting a deal now. The Hebrews in the ancient world were far from alone in using that verb to cut when they made a covenant. It was normal practice 
on making a covenant to talk about cutting it. And there's a very good reason for that. Because in making a covenant, there was usually an animal that got cut. One way or another, some living creature was cut in the process. That its blood would be poured out, or in some cases, actually cut right in half, and the two parts of this animal separated, and people would stand in the middle of the two of them to agree how their relationship would work. Today, if you wanted to go and buy a whole cow, it would cost you about three grand. And uh, in the ancient world, they weren't as rich as we are. And so when we read, someone took a heifer, someone took a bull, cut it in half, and did, that was an, it was costly on a whole number of levels. It was financially costly to the people. It was very costly for the bull, clearly. And the sense of it was, as I make this covenant, if I fail to keep this covenant as I promise I will, may what has happened to this animal happen to me. I mean it. Children nowadays would say, cross my heart and hope to die. This is... Or, you know, I promise on my grandmother's grave or something. In the ancient world, they had a rather better way of doing it. Didn't involve desecrating ancestors' graves. And said something strong about this being a costly thing that was entered into. It wasn't done lightly, but with forethought and determination. And the last thing follows on from that. It starts with a promise, it costs something, and then it endures. It, a covenant was a fixed deal that went on and on. When we moved into the King Center, this building here 12 years ago, we signed an agreement. I was reading it this week, which said that we covenanted, we used that word, we covenanted with the city council to use all reasonable endeavors to ensure that no more than 60% of our Sunday congregation travel by car. That's what we covenanted to do. We covenanted that 12 years ago, and it remains so. All reasonable endeavors. I don't know if that includes hiring in the military, or I don't know where reasonable ends. Um, anyway, before Tyndale Community School opened last year, a covenant was signed for the running of that school that will last until we are all dead. Because it's for 125 years. So that's interesting because that covenant has been signed by individuals, but it's not really a covenant with individuals at all. Because those people who've signed it will not be alive to see its completion on either side, either the Secretary of State or the trustees who've signed it for the school. It's not really a covenant with individuals. It's a covenant with an organization or with a group of people. And that's what we see again and again and again in God's dealings with people, that when he makes covenant, he doesn't just 
choose an individual and say, I've got a plan for your life, he's thinking longer term. And he makes covenants with families and tribes and nations. So look, those are the bare bones of what covenant is about. It starts with promise, it costs something, it endures. What I thought would be helpful to do is to have a look at not all, but some of the examples in Scripture where covenants are made so we can put a bit of flesh on what otherwise might be bare bones. So um, the first of them I'm going to rattle through because it goes in a number of chapters and then I've got some clearer, sharper references to look at for the second and third ones. The first one is, if you want to turn there, it's Genesis 12, 15, and 17, where God meets with Abraham. And as I'm going to rattle through this. In terms, if you want to look it up and read it all later, do. This is about Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. It's full of promise. In each of these chapters, chapter 12 and 15 and 17, God promises something extraordinary and then more as each chapter comes along. In Genesis chapter 12, God takes hold of Abraham and promises that he will become a great nation. And this amazing promise that those who bless you will be blessed. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to know that anyone who's nice to you is going to have a good life? And for that reputation to grow, that it's always worth being nice to you. That's what God promised to Abraham. Genesis 15, he extended that. This is what this picture is reminding us of. He said, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars, as the grains of sand on the seashore. Extending the promise of becoming a great nation. And then in Genesis 17, he promises that his descendants will possess the land where Abraham was, and he promises that he himself will be their God. Let's just pause there, because that last promise is actually the biggest and the best of all of them. Great to have some land, great to have a big family, great to be blessed by other people, but to know for a certainty that the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, commits himself to be our God. He doesn't say, I'll be available if you want me. He says, I covenant with you. I promise I will be your God. Not only your God, but the God of your children and their children. I will be there amongst you, with you, for you. There was a cost. The cost here, most obviously, is in Genesis 15, where we do have a few animals cut in half. There's a heifer and a goat and a ram that all get cut in half. The dove and the pigeon just get placed opposite each other. And uh, in between these costly offerings, the covenant is formed. Uh, It has a sign attached to it (laughs) to, to say this wasn't just a thing that happened in a moment. This was a new relationship that was going to endure, that was going to go on and on. And on, and it was the sign of circumcision. Abraham was circumcised, and that mark on his body was to commemorate the forming of this covenant, and there was no going back. For all of his life, 
he had the mark of the covenant. It's a permanent reminder for him of what God had promised would take place. The relationship that he'd entered into with God. And this sign, this circumcision was to be there for his children and their children as an ongoing reminder of the enduring promises of God, not just to Abraham, but to him and his descendants. That's one of the covenants in the Old Testament. There's another one. There's a several, actually. There's one with Noah. There's one with Adam um, that we hear described as a covenant in Hosea. But anyway, in Exodus 24, we've got one of the um, tidiest descriptions of what happened for the nation of Israel. Let's read from Exodus, chapter, from verse 1 in Exodus chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others mustn't come near. And the people may not come up with him. And when Moses went and told the people all of the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. And he got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then they sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people, and they responded, saying, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And Moses took the blood, it's the blood that's set aside in the bowls, and sprinkled it on the people. Branches of hyssop, it tells us elsewhere. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Here's another covenant. In this covenant, God promised his presence to be with the people of Israel. It's We'd have to look elsewhere to find a straightforward statement of that. But God promised that he would be with the people. When the Ark of the Covenant was um, shut up later, it contained several things. It contained some of the manna, which was a promise of uh, God's provision. It contained Aaron's staff that had budded as a promise of the fruitfulness of godly leadership as God's presence was amongst the people and it contained tablets which had tablets that had the ten, ten commandments on them. These were the, the centerpiece of this covenant. The people entered into a covenant in which God promised that he'd provide this land flowing with milk and honey. He promised that he'd be with them and look after them and he promised that he would guide them well with his law. So again, wonderful, wonderful promises from God. Of course, in this, in this particular covenant, there's another set of promises which are 
and if you disobey, I promise barrenness. I promise pestilence. I promise oppression by foreign rulers. I promise exile from the land that I'm giving to you. There's another set of promises as well within this covenant. Again, there was a cost in this covenant, more animals, more blood, and it was enduring for centuries. And I mean, it was an ongoing covenant in which, again, there was the sign of circumcision to remind everybody, uh, but also the law in this covenant was given to be an enduring sign of the kind of relationship that God had formed with Israel. They had a unique relationship with God because of the law that he'd wonderfully provided for them. So there's a bit of flesh on the bones of what covenants could look like. What we need to do mostly, though, is look at the best covenant of all, which is the one that Christ made with his followers. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. And verse 26. Here we go. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, people sometimes say, how does this new covenant work? Does it, does it replace the earlier covenant? I don't know whether you've ever asked yourself that question. If you haven't, you probably need to go and to King's School of Theology, where they'll not only raise the question, but answer it for you. How did, did the new covenant that Jesus brought mean that God's rela- special relationship with Israel, special relationship with all of Abraham's descendants, special t- relationship with all of Noah's descendants, is that all void now? I'd like to suggest to you an answer, which is that it's a bit of an odd question. And if you could think of it this way, suppose you go into a shop and you find an item that's been reduced by 95%. There's a tag on it, 95% off. You think, oh, that is a bargain. But you notice on it that, like there often is, there was another tag that said, at some earlier point, it was 10% off. Would it make sense to ask if the earlier offer is still valid? I don't imagine you would. You'd say, brilliant, there's now a better deal. I suppose it's true that the earlier 10% off remains valid as a deal. But it's not very relevant because something better has been given. And that's the argument that's used. If you want to look at what the New Testament says about that, the best place to go is Hebrews chapters 8, 9, and 10, where it lists off a whole bunch of ways in which the Old Covenant, and it's making specific reference to the covenant with Israel, is just not as good as the new deal, the new testament, the new covenant, the new promises that have come with Christ. I'll mention just a few of them. Whereas the old covenant was made with one nation, the new covenant 
was made with followers of all nations. Ethnicity no longer a barrier. In the old covenant, the people were promised the land and God's presence in Jerusalem. In the new covenant, people are offered life to the full and to be in God's presence for all eternity. It's a better deal. For relationship with God, the old covenant provided for there to be access to God in the tabernacle and then the temple. In the new covenant, we have Christ in us and the spirit poured out without measure. It's a better deal. In the old covenant, the price paid was the blood of livestock. The new covenant was paid for with the blood of the creator God. Hardly any comparison, is there? And in the old covenant, the law was written on tablets of stone. But as Jeremiah prophesied in chapter 31 of his book, the law in the new covenant is written on our hearts. Completely different and much, much better. So here we are, gathered as a Christian church. We are a covenant people. We are people whom God has decided beforehand to bless. And he has promised that he will bless us. Our relationship with God started with what he offered to us, with what he still promises to us. He has paid the price, the cost that is inherent in starting a new covenant, he has paid, and... This arrangement is not only an enduring arrangement, it's an everlasting covenant. It will continue until the stars fall from the sky and then beyond that into all eternity. That's our relationship with God. That's why we need to hold on to this word covenant and not just let it go as an outdated and rarely used word. It's full of meaning. It's the best word that we have for describing the very special way in which God relates to us. I hope this morning, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, I hope this morning that you feel a renewed sense of security. This, this was God's initiative. He's done it all, and it's going to last. We worry sometimes, don't we, whether we're going to screw it all up, as if God would somehow be surprised by that. If you read through the story of the Bible, the story of the covenant that he made with Israel, I mean, most of the column inches are taken up with where they went wrong and God's response to them going wrong. Do you think that when he formed a new covenant, he somehow forgot that detail, that people screw up? No. The whole purpose of the new covenant was to deal with that fact, that unfortunate fact that we screw up continually. And he made adequate provision, provided a promise, and paid a price that meant that we could remain in relationship with him from the moment that we accept him in our lives and on into all eternity. We sing it about it, don't we? Some of our 
our best, the songs that people love best, you, you know, the ones that the people who get the most money from all the copyright because their songs are sung the best are those ones that talk about our security in Christ. I don't know if you've, songs like In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found, He's My Strength. It's not about me, there's security in Him. Okay. That's what God is like in how he relates to us. The next thing to say is a little bit about us as community. In the light of how God relates to us, it does change us. We end up relating differently to other people because we understand what covenant is like, what it's about. Covenant people, that's us, form covenant relationships. I need to make a special mention this morning of marriage. It's not the only kind of relationship amongst us, clearly, but it needs a special mention in this context. When we marry, this is the kind of relationship that we form. Marriage is a covenant. We make promises on our wedding days. We we say that we're going to be there through thick and thin, for better or worse, for richer or poorer. When you enter a marriage covenant, you're not entering it for what you can get, but determined to do your spouse good because you love them and you want what's best for them. A healthy marriage is not based on mutual need but on mutual self-giving. Maybe I need to say that again. There's quite a lot in those few words. A healthy marriage is not based on mutual need in which we hold together because we'd be sunk without each other. It's based on mutual self-giving in which we both approach one another determined to do the other one good with a, a testament in mind of all that I have, what can I give you? When both parties in a marriage, both spouses, there's no other plural for that, is there? Where, where both parties approach each other looking for what they can give, you still end up desperately in need of each other, but it's a different atmosphere. It's not one in which you demand what you need, but one in which you're just delighted <laughs> to be together because there's this constant mutual self-giving. That's what God's like with us. And it's a wonderful, wonderful kind of relationship to be in. Not looking for what I can get, but for what I can give. It's costly, is marriage. Uh, the formation of uh, wedding vows. Some people sometimes spend silly amounts of money on their wedding day, don't they? They have these celebrity weddings where they do silly things. And we, we might think, oh, it's ridiculous to spend that amount of money. Does it, what is the average amount of money that people spend on a wedding these days? It's tens of thousands of pounds, isn't it? Yeah, scores of thousands of pounds. And we might look at that and think, well, that's a bit excessive and you know, it's materialistic, and, and I, I'm, that's probably true. But if you went to a wedding and they'd managed to get everything done on a budget of a tenner, 
you probably wouldn't be congratulating them on their good sense. You'd be thinking, hang on a minute. This is more important than that. I don't know what the right amount of money is. But it ought to cost something, surely. I'm not encouraging you all to break the bank when you get married and go into debt. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying instinctively we know that it is a costly thing to do. And so it should be. Enduring. Part of the marriage vows is till death us do part. Marriage is a covenant. And it's a wonderful thing in which to participate. It was Martin Luther who said, the closest thing that you will see on earth to what God is like is a good marriage. Committed, self-giving, cost-paying, reliable love. That's a window on what God's like. And it's always a delight when we see it. But... Our community is obviously not just about marriage, and there are things here for all of us to take hold of and to consider in our relationships. Uh, We form covenant relationships when we promise ourselves to others. And this this is something that we can all do in different ways. We've recently been, I'm looking around for Ben and Michelle and not spotting them this morning, but just in the week, we got a email from Ben and Michelle Price. We're hoping to move house over the summer, expecting to move house, a bit intimidated by all the work that's involved. We got an email from Ben and Michelle saying, look, we're a church. Whatever it is that you need doing, you just need to tell us and we will arrange the church to do it. I thought, that's a good, I like that. That's a good promise. And What's going on? I'm glad that they're not here this morning because I can big them up more than than I would if they were here. What's going on with Ben and Michelle is they are covenant people. They get that kind of relationship. They are regularly thinking about how they can be a blessing to other people and not just having the odd thought, but then promising to do it. Putting it on their lips making a statement that they are going to be diligent in fulfilling. They're looking to move to West Africa again, back to West Africa, to the edge of the desert again, to be a blessing in a town where there aren't any Christians. And uh, I have to say, that town will be better for their presence. Straight up. As soon as they arrive, it'll be a better town in which to live. It won't be long before people realize that they would be better off if they lived on the street that Ben and Michelle live on. Because they'll go about relating to people in the same kind of way that God goes about relating to people. Thinking about what they've got, thinking about how they can give it to other people, and then, they probably won't write it out formally or anything, but making a testament in their own hearts saying, I promise I'm going to do this to bless the people around me. We can all do that, can't we? We can all think of ways of blessing others rather than thinking about what we need, think about what others need, and then commit ourselves to others. Um, generosity. What, that's this thing about cost. We spend ourselves on others. Um, 
let's just be clear about this. When we spend ourselves on others, we are depleted. Our resources are depleted from having spent ourselves on others. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about uh, an offering that costs nothing. I really mean it when I say we spend ourselves. Christ spent himself to pay the price on the cross. Covenants always require expense. And we're called to spend ourselves. The great thing is that God then fills us all back up again. You know, he has all the resources. And once we have spent ourselves for the sake of others, he'll give us everything that we need. So we don't end up poor. This is great. We spend, others are benefited. We're depleted for a moment. We're in relationship with God and he makes us rich again. What a great system. Other people end up rich. We get to have a season of trusting God. We end up rich too. I don't just mean with finances, though God does promise to provide for all that we need, but in every aspect of need in our lives, God will provide. One of the costliest things for us to do in relationships is to forgive. When people have have really offended you, like properly, It's really costly to let go of it because it feels like you're owed something. You're owed an apology or maybe you're owed some compensation. You're certainly owed a recognition in some way of the hurt done. And when you forgive, you wipe that slate clean and it is a generous gift to let someone off the debt that they owe you. In the Lord's Prayer, where we pray variously, forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, a more literal translation of the Greek is forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. It's not always about giving out of the abundance that we have, but it's sometimes letting go of the debts that we plan to hold people to account for. There is freedom, the other side of that forgiveness for all parties. Maybe that's what God's just drawing your attention to this morning. And then lastly, we're reliable. We promise ourselves to others. We spend ourselves on others. We stick with it. We are reliable. Um, Oxford is the city in the UK with the highest percentage turnover in population. 25% of the city's population moves on every year. Most transient population in the UK. And I have to say that that can make this last point a bit difficult. If you're looking sort of out of the door and on to what comes next, it can be a little bit more difficult to commit to the people that are around you. And even if you're not looking out the door at what comes next, if you know that a good bunch of the people around you will be off in the next couple of years, it sometimes is really hard work to bother committing to them. Let's be honest. 
It's not a city in which it's particularly easy to stick with reliable covenant relationships. People come and go. I'd like to suggest that for all of us, whether we're expecting to be in Oxford for the rest of our lives or the next few months, whilst we're here, how about we treat it like our eternal home? Just for however long we're here, just just pretend. <laughs> no, seriously, think of it as an enduring place. Because otherwise, we'll really sh- struggle to form the kind of relationships that we should. We will fail to show Christian love in ways that we could if we're always thinking about what's coming next rather than what we have around us. It's also the story of a great many people who've tried to leave Oxford that it takes a bit longer than they thought it would. So even if you're thinking of leaving, whatever your timescale is for leaving, you might well not be right anyway. So probably not best to plan on it. There's another aspect to being reliable, which is probably best summed up with the phrase, if no one else will do it, then I will. It's another aspect of reliability. If you look around, whether it's at work or in your family or in the church, and you see a need that no one's addressing, what covenant people do is say, all right, I'll do it then. (laughs) That's easy. It's not a complicated decision. We're committed to each other. It's just what we do. One body with many parts. There's a part over there bleeding. All right, okay. Let's get the first aid kit. Be a bit odd just to watch. (laughs) Understand what I'm saying, I'm sure. Okay. I've covered quite a bit of ground, and I've gone three minutes past 12 o'clock, which is, you know, bad. Um, can we pause? I've, I've covered a lot of ground, and I'd just like to, to ask... I'm going to pray now. Holy Spirit. Yes. Out of all that we've looked at this morning, I pray that for every one of us now, you just bring to mind the thing that you're looking for us to do by way of a response. That this wouldn't just be information. Oh, look, we know a bit more stuff. We're looking for transformation into your likeness to be more secure in our relationship with you, to be better at making promises, to be more reliable, to be more generous. Holy Spirit, please come and highlight for each one of us just what you want to put your finger on. 